Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to give you kind of an investing 101 course. We, when we're working with a lot of naturopaths, right, that oftentimes uh, you're beginning to maybe think about starting a retirement account or some sort of investment account. Um, hence why we spoke about the retirement accounts in the last episode. But today we're going to talk about, okay, you've opened up an account to invest in, what is it you're investing in? So what are the type of the different type of investments that are out there? So that's going to be the takeaway. So let's dive in here, Alex. So the first one is bonds, right? Yeah, well, we're going to start out by defining what some of these key terms are. And then, yeah. we'll, then we'll jump into like a little bit more around investing um, and we'll, we'll wind up carrying this through the next couple podcasts. Uh, it's, it's too big of a topic for, for one podcast. So let's jump right in. So let, let's, everyone's heard of a bond. I don't think many people have not heard of a bond. What I don't think they truly understand is what a bond actually is. Yeah. So a bond, you are literally buying debt of whatever entity issued the bond. And there's, Generally speaking, three entities that are issuing bonds. Uh, there are uh, federal governments like uh, the U.S. or you know, China, Germany, Japan, a- any country is going to issue a bond. Um, there are companies that issue bonds, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, insert publicly traded company here. Um, and then the third uh, is like municipalities. So whether that's state or local or city, uh, uh, they're, they're issuing a bond and there's a couple different versions of these. Uh, they can be used to, to fund projects like uh, building a stadium, uh, building road infrastructure. Uh, and there's a couple different versions of, of where the funds come from uh, to be able to fund the, the, the bond or the debt. And so with that bond, right, so you purchase the bond, you're buying the debt. So typically, the, the higher risk the bond is, right? So the United States government, a government bond is typically a lower risk asset, right? Like if the U.S. government goes away, we might have bigger issues in the United States. Might. We, yeah, we might have some big issues. So I... the chances of that occurring is not high. Now compare that to a small company, right? And by small, I mean, you know, maybe they're making, you know, $500 million of revenue or, or, or more, but they issue debt. And so you buy that, that bond. Well, that company may not make it. And so because they may not make it, they offer a higher yield. Yeah. What you're talking about there is what's called default risk. Correct. What is, the, what is the likelihood that you are not going to receive your money that you invested back or your principal back from whatever entity issued the bond? It and that's one risk, right? And so when when you're when you are investing, right, you have to take that in, into consideration. If you're in, if you're investing in a higher yield or higher default risk type bond, 
what else are you investing in, right? How, how risky do you want to be in that portfolio? That's, that's for you to, to understand and, and weigh what that risk is and, and weigh it from the, hopefully the reward being yield or rate of return that you get back from that. Exactly. Um, and, and there's, there are examples of defaults, whether it is uh, like a government going default, whether it is a municipality, uh, famously the uh, Orange County went, uh, went into uh, bankruptcy back in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe it was early 90s. Um, so there's examples of uh, governments and, and uh, municipalities going bankrupt. Uh, obviously, there's examples of companies. Um, you know, I'm going to maybe date myself a little bit here, but Enron uh, would be an example of that. Um, and at that point, you just become a, a general creditor of whatever the organization or institution was that, that went bankrupt. Um, and so typically you're going to receive some of your money back, but not all of it. So that's the default risk. The other risk that's out there and it is really pertinent right now. Uh, well, default risk is always pertinent, but another risk is interest rate risk. Yeah. And interest rate risk is like the, here we're looking at, are we missing out on other opportunities? So for example, Ryan, if I was to uh, borrow money from you at current rates and, you know, let's just say that I'm borrowing money at 2% from you, like, okay, what's the likelihood that over that, the time frame, say the next five years, that interest rates are going to rise and therefore you could have received more interest by, uh, by lending that money out in the future? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I, I would never loan you personally money at 2%. Uh, I would definitely do it at a higher amount. I don't like you that much, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that you could buy a house at that right now is kind of crazy, right? So that's, that's right. kind of what we're talking about there. And to Alex's point, if interest rates go up and he did get that loan from 2% and it wasn't from me, it was from, from someone else for sure. A bank or whatever. I'm being funny, but interest rates go up and all of a sudden now I could get, or that bank could get three or four or 5% interest, right? So Alex is very, very excited because he locked it in at two. Exactly. Where I would want to almost renegotiate and get four or five, right? So that that's the, the interest rate risk that is involved inside of that. And that affects the bonds price. Exactly. And this is one of the reasons why there's been such a boom in refinancing is because people are able to lock in low interest rates over a long period of time. Um, and so it, it saves a tremendous amount of, of cost in the future, um, you know, in, in terms of the interest that's, that's going to have to be paid on that loan over the length of that loan. Exactly. So that's a real quick 101, you know, intro to bonds. The, the next investment that we want to talk about is a stock, right? So, and so when, when we're talking about a stock, that's just ownership in a company. Yeah. Instead of buying debt, like we did with the bond, we're now buying a piece of the company. So obviously you can't invest in the stock of a, comp a country because you can't own a country. You can own companies. And so what you're essentially doing is you're buying into that company, the, the balance sheet of it. So the, the assets and the debts that that company has, 
um, as well as uh, the future revenue of that company. So, you know, essentially what we're, what we are doing when we buy a stock is we are either buying the future growth of that company, or we're buying the revenue stream of that company, or we're just trying to acquire one of the assets, whether it is something tangible, like a building or machinery or something of that nature, or whether it's the intellectual property of that company. Those are all different reasons why somebody would buy a company. And when we talk about investing, we're primarily looking at one of two things, either appreciation in the value of that stock or future revenue that's going to be paid out from the ownership. And that's commonly called a dividend. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's heard of, of Apple, right? So Apple didn't always be, and I, I don't know what it's trading at right now, but you know, at what point it was trading, I remember buying my first Apple stock actually $19 a share. And this was right before the iPod came out. Right. I know that it had gone up. Right. And I think it's, I think it might be selling for like two something right now is that I know you're looking it up right now, Alex, but I'm buying ownership in Apple for the future growth of that company. Right. So obviously iPods have done well and they've transitioned into many other different products and that stock price has gone up because the company value has gone up. Uh, currently trading at 127 and change. Gotcha. Right. So if you bought in at $19 a share and it's 127, that's, that's some nice profit. Now that's over a long period of time, right? Like the iPod Correct. didn't come out last year. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Really? What's, an, what's an iPod? <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure that a lot of kids today are asking that question, but not. It's because the technology Fair. is so old. Right. So that that's what a stock is, right? And as soon as the Denver Broncos uh, go public, I'll be buying <laughs> shares of the Denver Broncos. So, uh, <laughs> so that's a stock. Let's, let's jump to mutual funds, right? Because I think uh, this one kind of, it, well, it combines sometimes stocks and bonds, right? Yeah, so a mutual fund is a professionally managed bundle of assets defined by the fund itself. So there's a document that defines what the mutual fund can own. And to your point, Ryan, it, it could be just stocks, it could be just bonds, it could be a mix of the two. Uh, there's certain types that uh, of of mutual funds that invest in like sector specific or large U.S. companies or international companies. There there is a uh, a definition of what the mutual fund can invest in. And when I say professionally managed, some are actively managed, meaning that we are hiring a manager to buy and sell stocks sometimes on a daily basis, um, sometimes more, uh, less frequently, or it could be an index fund, which is more passively managed where it, it's still being managed, but it's being done. So passively, meaning that they're not actively buying and selling on a, a daily, um, weekly, or even monthly basis. What they're doing is they're tracking an index. So whenever there's a change in that index, then those mutual funds have to you know, modify their, their holdings to reflect that 
change in the index. Sometimes they can be proactive and buy ahead of time. Sometimes they have to act reactively. Uh, so it, it really depends on the fund and how it's designed and how it's structured. Uh, but it's basically going to try to track the performance of whatever index it is designed to do. Yeah. And by index, he means, you know, you all have probably, it's probably heard of the S&P 500, right? So the S&P 500, what that really is, is that's the 500 largest United States companies. Right. Or the Dow Jones industrial average, which is the 30 largest or 30 uh, large industrial companies uh, in the U.S. There are uh, indexes for small companies, indexes for international companies. There's a whole host of different indexes out there. Um, so when somebody says the market, um, there is no one thing that is the market. Yeah. Unfortunately, the media uh, portrays as the market as one of those indexes, right? The S&P right. or whatever they choose to be the, the index NASDAQ. Of yeah, exactly. So that's what a mutual fund is, right? It's a, it's It can be an index fund, right? So it's basically off of, you know, 500 largest companies, or it could be a mixture of stocks and bonds, right? So another thing out there now to throw it out there, just because we get this question a lot, like a target date fund. Yeah. So a target date fund is a collection of investments that is designed to be uh, quote ready to be used at a specific time um, and there's really kind of two purposes that we see for these uh, they were originally designed for uh, investing for in co for college where it was okay hey my child is going to go to school in 18 years or 12 years from now or whatever and so the, the design of it was for that child to, for the investments to mirror what should occur in terms of like risk tolerance. So it gets more and more conservative as we get closer and closer to needing that money um, with the idea that the funds are then going to be liquidated. So that's where it originally came from. And then somebody took that idea and concept and applied it to uh, retirement. Um, again, there's, there's some nuances in terms of the differences. Uh, college planning is typically a four, maybe a five-year, maybe an eight-year time period uh, in somebody's life, whereas retirement is typically much longer. Um, you know, most of the time we're, we're trying to plan for retirement in a 30, 40, or maybe even a 50-year time period. Um, and so there's also a much longer time that we're accumulating assets uh, than for college. Um, not always, but, uh, and th there are some, there are some, differences in terms of like retirement planning versus college planning. And the, so those, those funds, right. The retirement target date fund that you just brought up there, right. If we're, if the target date fund is a, you know, you might see it like fidelity target date fund, 2051 or, or something like right, that, right. So it's 30 years from now, 2051. So that would be someone that is typically earlier in their career. And so what that means is from an allocation or risk standpoint, there means there's going to be a lot more stocks in that than right. bonds, right? And so stocks, obviously not every company becomes Apple and the company's price of that stock can go up and down. So the more stocks you have, the more volatility you can have. That That's that risk standpoint. And so you might have 90% stocks and only 10% bonds. So 90%, if you have $100,000, 90,000 would be in stocks, 10,000 would be in the bonds and the bonds are considered safer than right. a stock. 
Yeah, there's typically less volatility. Um, and I say typically because there are exceptions and there are examples of when uh, bonds have more risk. Um, and you can find examples, whether it's you know high yield, like a company is in default. Um, and so if you're buying a bond of a company that's already in default, likelihood is you're going to default. You're going to see wild volatility in that bond. Um, you know, if the company pulls out of uh, bankruptcy, like, okay, you just had a massive appreciation in that bond. If the company winds up, you know, liquidating, the like, chances are that the value of that bond is going to drop. Yep. Um, so like you can, there are examples of wild volatility in, in bonds, but historically and typically bonds are much less volatile than stocks. Um, where this issue wind or where this concept winds up running into some issues is uh, let's say that uh, Ryan and I both plan on retiring in 2050. Uh, but when Ryan gets to 2050, he's going to be 80 years old. And when I get to 2050, I will be 50 years old. If we both pick the target date 2050 fund, we're going to be invested the same way, even though Ryan is 80 in that example, and I'm 50. Uh, we should wind up having, in all likelihood, fairly dramatically different portfolios at that time period um, because Ryan has somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 years worth of income and, and funds required from, from that portfolio. Whereas if I'm retiring at 50, I should have 40 to 60 years worth of, of ability to pull income from the portfolio. And thus we should be invested differently um, assuming that we have the same tolerance for risk or tolerance for volatility. And, and so that, that's where that concept can break down. Um, it, it's, it's a good starting point and it's better than what was done in the past um, for folks that, that really didn't understand how exactly some of this stuff worked. And there are still some issues with it. So that's that's a mutual fund, right? So the, there's different types out there, but that that's what a mutual fund is. It's it's made up of a bunch of different stocks or a bunch of different bonds, some or some combination of the two, which takes us to an ETF. Sure, an ETF that stands for exchange traded fund. Uh, this is done a little bit differently. It's still a a a, a bundled portfolio if you will, like similar to a mutual fund from that concept. Um, this is traded like a stock, meaning it's bought and sold on an exchange. Um, whereas mutual funds, you're either purchasing it directly from the uh, investment company, um, or it could be a closed end fund, meaning that there's, there's not a redemption and creation of shares. Uh, and that would also be bought on an exchange. Uh, most funds are open, meaning that you're buying and selling it from the, the investment company. With an ETF, it's traded just like a stock. Um, and so the, the mechanics of buying and selling it are a little bit different. And typically, these are much more passive investments. Um, they can still be geared towards either an index or a sector or, or some other concept. Um, but there's, is, there's usually much less trading that is going on inside of that bundle of goods inside of the, the ETF or electronically, or sorry, exchange traded fund. Yeah. So, I mean, ETF is, 
you know, for the most part, relatively new, right? Like it, it hasn't been around as long as a, a mutual fund. It's, it's a newer concept. And so, and it's become popular, right? Because of what you just said, it, it tends to be more passive from a fee standpoint, which we'll get to probably in another episode, but it tends to be lower fee generating, if you will. Um, for- there are also some tax advantages if you're investing in non-retirement accounts, um, so that there's there's some potential tax advantages to investing yep. in in ETFs instead of mutual funds. Um, yep. I mean, again, it's so much there are some advantages to mutual funds from a taxation standpoint too. Um, so much of it depends on the the mechanics of how it's being done, and and that's specific to the individual funds. So those are the four. Uh, Right. And there's plenty of other type of investments out there. We wanted to keep this simpler uh, for today's episode, but we've got bonds, stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, right? So many of you are probably asking, okay, what, what should I be investing in? How, how does that come into play? And really it comes into play with what risk you're willing to take for what reward you would like to get, right? And so that oftentimes in our industry, we'll go into a, what they say is an asset allocation, meaning how much of your portfolio is in a riskier category, maybe being in stocks and how much of your portfolio is in maybe a safer category being in, in bonds or, or even some amount of cash, who knows? Well, Brian, let me make this super easy. Um, and this is some of the things that we, we hear from clients occasionally. Uh, I, I want all of the rewards and none of the risk. Yeah. We get that. Don't you get that all the time? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's a matter of helping folks understand what is that relationship between risk and reward, right? Yeah. So you might be thinking, okay, should I be investing in individual stocks and individual bonds? Should I be doing mutual funds? Should I be doing ETFs? And that goes into a there's no simple answer to that question because it really depends on your investment style and what you believe in. you know, if you're picking individual stocks and individual bonds, you're inherently going to be taking on, um, you could be taking on more risk because let's just say you choose five stocks and two bonds. Well, now you, from a risk standpoint, you're invested in, call it seven companies or seven entities. It's harder to get a diversified portfolio that way. Um, and you, you typically are going to need more capital or more, more dollars to be invested mm-hmm. to get to the point where you can have a balanced portfolio. Um, that, again, there are pros and cons to all of these different scenarios. For folks that are just getting started uh, using bundled products like a, a mutual fund or an ETF are typically going to be more effective for creating a well-diversified portfolio at relatively low costs to begin with. Yeah, because essentially you're hiring that investment fund manager to make those choices for you. And they're not just investing in seven entities, they're investing oftentimes in thousand entities, right? So it that, that balanced, more diversified portfolio gets done for you. Correct. And so that's the whole point, really where you need to sit with, and this is a conversation that Alex and I have a lot is, okay, what is your risk tolerance? So we actually sit down and we explain, okay, and we take an academic approach where we're actually showing you, okay, if you had $100,000 in the market based on how you're currently investing, 
you could lose X amount of dollars in any given year, or you could gain X amount of dollars in any given year. How would that feel if you lost 40% in a given year, right? Like how, what would be your reaction and, and vice versa. So we're able to sit down and show what the risk is you're taking. We actually do if for those of you who remember standard deviation, right? That might scare you. I know I hated that, that side. So I didn't ever want to hear those words again, but right. We take that academic approach where we, we share with you, okay, this is the true risk that you're taking. Are you comfortable with that? Once you understand that, then you can actually really put together a portfolio or choose what investments you should be in. Absolutely. And it's important to, to understand that we're dealing with things that are variable and it's very complex. And so while we can get a general sense of, of what the risk is, every circumstance and every market is unique because there are hundreds, if not thousands of variables that go into um, stock price and things of that nature. And so like we're, we're going to wind up seeing these uh, black swan type events, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and so our job as investment professionals is to help folks understand, hey, here is what is expected. Here are the typical type risks. And here is how we would, you know, let's, let's understand um, like what you're trying to accomplish and then help you understand what are the potential risks that we face um, and knowing that like we're not going to get into the weeds of like, well, it's possible that a you know series of meteors will strike the earth and here's how that would affect the market. Like, <laughs> we're just not going like, to, there, there are too many variables, right? So we hope this episode was was valuable, right? We wanted to, to simply explain at least these four different types of investments because they are the common investments that are out there. And the purpose of this is, is to f- you to, to feel more comfortable in, in making that choice in starting investing, right? Because it's it, it, it's scary. We understand that, especially when you don't know what everything is. And our our industry loves to use jargon, right? So we've got a question for you now. Yeah, the question is: If you haven't started investing, what's holding you back? What's preventing you from investing right now? So take a thought on that. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can go to holistic-finance.com. And at the bottom of that page, there is a spot for you to reach out to us. Um, as, as we always ask, if you're getting value out of these, share the, share the episode. Um, we, we are gaining quite a bit of growth in that and we appreciate that. And, and the purpose of that growth and the reason we even bring it up is for you all to get better and get more knowledgeable with your money so you can build the practice that you want. And if there are topics that you want us to tackle in the future, let us know. We're open to thoughts and suggestions. I mean, this is designed to be education for, for you. So if, if there's something that's on your heart or mind that you want us to talk about, let us know. So we hope this episode was good and valuable. And as always, Mr. Collins, make it a great day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. 
Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use as, and is for educational purposes only. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, investment strategy, or product to any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market, interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Dow Jones Industrial Average is a widely used indicator of the overall condition of the stock market, a price-weighted average of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks, primarily industrials, but also includes financial, leisure, and other service-oriented S&P 500 Index is a market index generally considered representative of the stock market as a whole. The index focuses on the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market. Indices are unmanaged and one cannot invest directly in an index. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California 91711, telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License, number 15319412, CA Insurance License, number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License, number 7264699, CA Insurance License, number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2021-121702, expiration May 2023.